Welcome to The Future Of. I'm Sean Zeller, and today is Friday, June 5th, 2020. The pandemic has changed our world forever. We are at a juncture, a moment that is not the past and not the future. Every day is the present. But at present, we have a moment to imagine and reimagine the future. What is next? How will things change? We may not have all the answers, but we will have many questions about the future. What will work look like? Schools, transportation, government. There isn't a single policy sector immune from COVID-19. The best minds are thinking about what's next, now. We are going to reach out to leading thinkers and doers in their disciplines and ask them to reimagine a post-COVID world. What will survive? What won't? How can society adapt? Are there things that could be better? So, in the next evolution of the coronavirus special report, which brings you all the policy news you need to know, we are launching The Future Of. Our hope is that this series helps bring hope, thoughts, and even some suggestions about what the future holds. We begin with government, and specifically, oversight. We are now in the middle of a global health crisis. Our response as a nation must be swift, it must be coordinated, and it must be based on science and the facts. Unfortunately, when we look at the last three months objectively, it is clear that strategic errors and a failure of leadership impaired our nation's ability to respond to this outbreak. This, in turn, endangers us all. That was Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney a Democrat from New York who's the first woman to chair the Oversight Committee. We sat down with her and Professor Paul Light of New York University. Chairwoman Maloney, you oversee Congress's Oversight Committee. And Congress, of course, has appropriated trillions of dollars now to aid American workers and businesses to combat the virus. There have been questions about it, the, about the speed, the record speed at which the money was distributed. Some went to big restaurant chains and public companies that maybe shouldn't have gotten it. Some went to very wealthy universities with big endowments. Uh, well, minority-owned, women-owned businesses said they struggled to get these, to get the aid. What's your assessment now of how well Congress did, how well the administration did, in getting this relief money out to the people quickly and fairly? One of the things that Congress did is that we created a select committee to focus on not only saving lives, but ensuring that the more than $3 trillion in resources are used effectively, efficiently, and equitably. We have already saved $10 million to pay for the cost of the committee by sending out letters to these corporations and others who took the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Plan, and and, uh, and got the money when they were large organizations, uh, uh, such as the Ruth Chris Steakhouse, the Shake House, these returned their money. Midex returned over $10 million. And so a lot of these areas, we sent out letters to every one of these corporations that should not have gotten it and have asked them to return the money 
or explain to us in writing why they think they're entitled to it when it was meant for small businesses. We carved out uh, $60 million to go directly to small business and minority businesses. And because some of the larger institutions were not helping them, created a payment system that was directly going to them. And this payment system was uh, going to them through either the CDIFs, uh, the Community Development Investment Funds, the uh, community banks, and the uh, uh, credit unions that would, were giving these loans specifically to them. It was meant for small businesses, not large corporations. And thanks to our work, one public company's already returned 10 million and our investigation is ongoing and we will continue to root out waste, fraud and abuse. Now that program, it first had an infusion of $350 billion. It went through that quite quickly. Congress replenished it with another $300 billion and it, and it has not gone through that money yet. So what should we read into that? Well, I'd say part of the reason the additional $350 billion has not gone through is because money's coming back. And we need to get a review of how much is coming back. I'm just mentioning uh, three that were in my district or came to my attention, but our investigation is ongoing. Uh, we sent out letters to all of them. The virus has made it difficult for the House to conduct business. You've just approved new proxy voting rules. You've approved new rules for conducting virtual committee hearings and virtual markups. Does it also make it difficult for you as chairwoman of the Oversight Committee to watch over the federal agencies and make sure they're doing right by the taxpayer? Well, we, we are um, continuing to have meetings or briefings um, hearings. Uh, we, are, we had one on the inspector generals. Uh, five inspector generals have been removed from their positions or uh, demoted or, or uh, fired in various ways. And uh, we, we need to protect uh, them. And I have authored a bill and put in that if you, if you want to fire a inspector general, you have to call, show cause. You have to give a reason. You have to notify Congress and you have to prove that they were not performing their duties appropriately uh, because their duties are, they're supposed to be independent and, and, and to be a watchdog. It is difficult because it's, it, everything's harder. We're not, we're not in one place and we're still in a, a crisis in terms of, uh, of, of being exposed to the, the virus. Well, given on the limits on your ability to operate, having to do things virtually, and at the same time, this immense amount of spending going on, the need to watch over how the administration is combating the virus. How do you see the future of how you operate there on the committee? Well, we built into the bill several oversights. We, we gave additional money to GAO for, for investigations on how the money was spent. Uh, we created an uh, a oversight committee uh, for, for all of the IGs, a special IG oversight committee uh, that they would look at how the money was spent throughout the various uh, agencies. We created the select committee uh, following the tradition of the Truman Committee from World War II to uh, uh, be careful about how the money is spent in a real time, not waiting to look back at it. Uh, we created a special IG 
just to look at, at the money. So there are several ways that we are trying uh, to look at the money and to figure out how it's being spent and to report back in real time. How would you assess the oversight that you've been able to do so far? What grade would you give it? Oh, we, we've done our best. We've had roughly 17 meetings. I think they're up on our website. Uh, we've uh, continued looking at uh, testing and, and uh, we've looked at essential workers. We've looked at the criteria for opening. We've, we're looking at, uh, uh, we have a hearing with the, the mayors that are coming in to reporting on how it's impacted their communities. Uh, a hearing with the governors coming in talking about how it's impacted their communities. Uh, we keep trying to get information out to the American people. I would say we want to continue doing things like our Fauci hearing. Is the worst yet to come, Dr. Fauci? Yes, it is. Can you elaborate? Well, whenever you look at the history of outbreaks, what you see now in an uncontained way, and although we are containing it in some respects, we keep getting people coming in from the country that are travel-related. We've seen that in many of the states that are now involved. And then when you get community spread, it makes the challenge much greater. So I can say we will see more cases and things will get worse than they are right now. He faced tough, necessary questions, not designed to score points, but to give the American people an honest appraisal of the greatest health crisis of our lifetime. With that, I'll let you go. We very much appreciate your time, Chairwoman Maloney. Hey, thank you. Bye-bye. Now we turn to Professor Paul Light, a political scientist who teaches at New York University and is one of the nation's leading experts in government oversight. He has studied the past, and as the saying goes, it's important to understand history not to make the same mistakes. As this conversation reveals, Congress may not have learned its lesson. So welcome to the show. We appreciate it, Professor Light. I am delighted to be with you. What's your assessment of the state of oversight in the nation now? I look back on it now and say, where have all the good days gone? I mean, you know, it's been a steady erosion of capacity, uh, durability. We've seen some reporting in the last couple of days on Senator Grassley and how he's been abandoned. He's been a long, uh, durable champion of oversight, strengthening the inspectors general. But we just have not seen a, um, a surge in oversight capacity uh, that could accompany uh, the increased activity of Congress, uh, the increased threats uh, to good government. And it's, it's, it's a dreary uh, period, and we're seeing... This all play out in the current debate over the inspectors general. A dreary period. When you say that and you talk about congressional capacity, are you referring to Congress's own decision to cut its own budget, to reduce its staffing, or are you talking more about growing polarization and partisanship on the Hill? Well, it's a, it's a uh, intersection of lots of negative trends. Uh, the staff capacity has been weakened. Uh, salaries have not kept pace. Uh, we see from the Congressional Management Foundation ongoing uh, you know, reports on the decimation of congressional staffs, the pressures that face congressional staffs, 
Um, we, we've just seen a steady erosion of capacity and interest. Polarization is part of it. The notion of getting the uh, uh, bipartisan spirit back into investigations, the tough oversight that used to be done uh, by Dems and ours together, uh, locked arms, uh, a view from uh, the Congress uh, to take care, to faithfully execute the laws, to monitor that, you know, that's been weakened by polarization. Absolutely. You, know, you saw it in the investigations of Benghazi. You saw it in the investigations of uh, the uh, Iraq war, so forth and so on. So the investigations became polarized and that was then reflected in a further polarization, you know. So it's, it's hard to untangle all of this. I just fear that we can't get good, strong oversight, bipartisan oversight, uh, when it comes time to take a look at how to rebuild government's capacity to respond to the kind of threats we've seen with the pandemic. Congress needs to be doing uh, deep investigation right now about what went wrong, the signals that were missed, and so forth. But this, you know, we, we're just not seeing that level of depth. We've seen the Government Accountability um, Office, their staff numbers have gone down when they should be going up. You know, there are a number of indicators that suggest that uh, we have a lot of repair work to do on the oversight system. You're concerned that it's become more about scoring political points than getting to the truth and improving the management of government. Well, is that right? Yes. I mean, the, the peak committees that uh, have been responsible for maintaining that, you know, strong bipartisan focus, understanding that we do have a two-party, three-party, whatever, multi-party system, Right. So we understand that, but the Governmental Affairs Committee, the, the Government Reform and Oversight, and then over in the United States Senate with the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs uh, Committee work, I mean, those two committees have to be able to unite. And we saw in Benghazi the fragmentation, we saw in the impeachment, so forth and so on. And it's hard to bring uh, the two sides together to take a good hard look uh, at what's gone wrong. I'm hoping that we could get a select committee in the House and a select committee in the Senate uh, to do the backwards look at what went wrong in the pandemic, but it's going to be very hard to mount uh, uh, in this particular period, and it's going to be hard to mount in the future, I think. How is the pandemic affecting the ability it, of Congress to get after information? Well, I mean, <laughs> to get after the information, uh, you know, we, we have to have uh, at least some work um, where you sit down with uh, the uh, minority and majority staffs, you're working together. It's hard to do on Zoom. Um, it's not impossible. But right now, people are so scared uh, and, and so concerned about uh, threats to personal safety that I think that is undermining the ability to work with the other party, but also uh, the face-to-face -face kind of contact that you need in order to get uh, deeper into the facts. You know, how do you call people together? How do you start doing the investigatory work when you, when you look back to the 2008, um, uh, the investigation following the financial collapse, 
where we had uh, Senator Levin and his staff uh, working with the minority on that investigation. Oh my goodness, the amount of work done face to face, the handling of documents, the collecting of documents. These are all routine tasks in um, the investigatory pulse, but it's very difficult right now to pull it all together or even get started on pulling the threads together. You know, can a investigatory committee fully empowered by the House and or Senate uh, get documents out of this administration? Um, and to what extent are the documents even being collected um, and properly uh, inventoried? So we have yet to see that tested, but there will be an investigation, I'm sure, uh, in both chambers uh, of what went wrong in the pandemic in the coming uh, 6 to 12 to 18 months to see what needs to be done to repair our government agencies and to deal with uh, procurement problems, uh, execution problems. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a Pandora's box filled with investigatory themes that ordinarily uh, would be hard to dispose of in a regular setting. But of course, you've already asked the question about the pandemic. It's going to be hard. For so sure. given, given those limitations for Congress, that, they, that the president has put up an unusually stiff defense and the Congress is having trouble meeting because of fears about the virus, what grade would you give them? I mean, how well are they doing at coping with those situations? I, I think it's an incomplete at best. And that's a dodge for a professor, right? <laughs> um, you know, we, we don't have the paperwork in, we don't have the testing done, uh, we see the, the need to investigate. Uh, you know, really in terms of, you know, power uh, uh, hearings thus far, it, it's non-existent. I mean, we've had one major hearing, uh, a couple of, um, you know, conversations on Zoom and so forth. There hasn't been much of anything done thus far in terms of uh, preservation of documents. We have sent the signal from Capitol Hill uh, down to the executive branch. We've, we've told agencies to preserve, um, to not, you know, to, to start to do the inventory, but who's doing it? We haven't called federal employees back to work uh, in a major way yet. So one only imagines what is happening with the inventory of uh, information that we're going to need for a full-fledged investigation. Who did what when? You know, there are so many opportunities for uh, threats to procurement and so forth and so on. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, uh, a very deep inventory of questions that needs to be and will need to be asked, and I, I just don't know who's working on it. What do you see the future bringing for congressional oversight? I mean, what in an ideal world would it bring? Well, you know, you've got uh, uh, a new chair of uh, the House Investigatory Committees uh, or the committee. Um, uh, I, I just don't know. Once the pandemic clean, uh, clears, and, and uh, that we hope will be 12 months, maybe 12 to 18, somewhere in that neighborhood, we'll get a vaccine, hopefully. Um, and then these committees will roar back to work. The question you're asking, and I agree, uh, needs to be asked, is whether Congress can reestablish its primacy as an investigatory body. Can these two chambers come together 
uh, both uh, separately and uh, jointly uh, to take a look at this pandemic. And will there be a blue ribbon? You know, one of the things I looked at uh, last year, the year before, looking at major investigations dating back uh, to 1945, updating, looking at how Congress should investigate the Trump administration and so forth. What I was seeing uh, was uh, the potential for blue ribbon commissions uh, still residing, but uh, it's not clear to me that uh, we can launch a blue ribbon commission out of Capitol Hill uh, with a uh, congressional mandate. It's hard for me to see it, but I think we're going to see some invention of new methods and new approaches. I'm, I'm not completely in despair about the future, but Congress is going to need to imagine new ways of getting this work done and, and getting it organized before the pandemic ends. What would you say this means for society, Professor Light? Oh, I think it's a worrisome moment when we have so much activity that is of great interest and threat to the public that we have no uh, understanding, at least, or no transparency on what our investigatory bodies are doing. We don't know what's happening with the inspectors general, except that they're uh, being threatened. Uh, I don't think that, uh, you know, the investigatory activities by the Office of Inspector General have, have dropped to zero. They're still doing their work, but there's a lot of nervousness. We have the Government Accountability Office still uh, grinding away. It, it remains a major source of investigatory energy um, and thoughtful work. So we've got some peak organizations that are under threat. We have continued budget pressure on GAO, um, and we don't know what's happening with the committees. It's an uncertainty right now uh, in terms of the future. I don't know what to expect. Thank you for joining us and sharing your expertise with our listeners. Thanks a lot, Sean. It's great talking to you, and I love CQ. That's the first edition of our new CQ Roll Call podcast, The Future Of looking at how the coronavirus will change America. We hope you found it informative and that you'll tune in for our next episode. You'll find the show on your regular CQ on Congress coronavirus special report feed at rollcall.com or your favorite podcast app. For all of us at CQ Roll Call, I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you for listening.